Hello. Uh, Hi. Welcome to Drinking the Kool-Aid. Welcome. I'm Megs. I'm Hannah. And today we have part two of our story. The book I used for this one is She is Evil by Judith Yates. And a little recap for you. Ejaz, Ahmed, and Bonnie had a son together named Jordan. The marriage was great at first, but over time, Bonnie realized that she didn't want to convert to the Muslim religion. She had no problem going to mosque with Ejaz, but she was Christian. After seven years together, Bonnie filed for a divorce, but they remained very close and continued to take care of their son. He met a woman named Leah Ward, and we were discussing her behaviors where, uh, when she was younger. She had a very close personal relationship with the police because they were called to her home so often. Leah was sneaking out, drinking alcohol, smoking marijuana. She stole and smashed up her grandmother's car, stole checks from her mother. She skipped school and so much more. It got to the point where her parents just did not know what to do with her anymore, and she was making claims that her father was abusing her. Leah went through a series of tests, and she was diagnosed with adjustment disorder, and the doctors said that she was not able to cope with changes, and this could result in serious consequences. She was later diagnosed with a conduct disorder, solitary aggressive type, with an alcohol and drug abuse problem. She also had features of a borderline personality disorder. Once she was released from treatment, she stopped taking all of her prescribed medications, and she was just about to move out of her family's house because she was getting married. So that's where we left off. So lots happening in this one. Oh, man. What? I was ready with, like, the mini recap, and then you didn't even say any of it. (laughs) Oh? I was going to be like, the chicken coop. Found him with no head, and that's where we are, and then you didn't even say any of it. Okay, yeah, you are (laughs) correct. I left all of that out. Okay. (laughs) Well, perfect. I'm glad you were ready. I was prepared for this one. Yeah. Okay, so the recap was a combined effort. I think we got it. Yeah, we got it. (laughs) Larry Ward and his family attended the same church as Leah and her family. So... Just to make sure that everyone is not confused by this, we are currently talking about when Leah was younger, okay? Okay. Larry was best friends with Leah's brother, and Leah was friends with Larry's sister. So it was one of those situations where, like, they knew about each other, but the two of them never actually hung out. Got it. In 1994, Leah was hanging with Larry's sister. Leah sat down on the couch near Larry, and they had a good conversation. He was dating another girl, but apparently it was a good conversation. Because, as he put it, they started monkeying around. Oh! (laughs) So, Leah soon announced that she was pregnant. And... Larry felt trapped. He didn't necessarily want to be with Leah. Like, this was just kind of fun for him. But he felt like he really needed to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. (laughs) 
I guess, yeah, to a certain degree. Like, I don't think that the right thing always means getting hitched. No, not necessarily. But, but definitely, definitely stepping to- up and taking care of his responsibilities. Right. Yeah. So some of his family members wanted him to, like, not get married. And they were warning him and saying, you know what? Leah's trouble. But he said he had to give her a chance because he was going to be a father. Well, okay. (laughs) That doesn't really, yeah. Mm -hmm. I always, I always, like, don't particularly enjoy when people get married just because they're having kids. Because, like, that's not how it should work. No, and I, while it can work out, it absolutely is possible. I think that more often than not, it doesn't. Right, and then, like, I just feel like the kid gets thrown into a shitty situation, which is what you're trying to avoid by getting married, but... Yes. Yep. And children do realize when their parents are not particularly fond of each other. Right. (laughs) You know? They are sponges. Um, But Leah claims that they got married because her parents forced her into a loveless marriage. Okay. So it sounds like she didn't want this either at first. Now, she claimed that Larry was abusive and that during one beating, she was forced to flee to a local hospital to get help. Larry denies all accusations. After they got married, the two of them moved into a rented trailer, but Larry knew that he had made a mistake. He got a good taste of Leah's tantrums, and he believed that she was on drugs. Three days into the marriage, he took off in his truck and tossed the wedding ring out the window. Damn! Only three days? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. They, like, skipped the honeymoon phase. Instant regret. Yeah. Um, He did eventually go back and try to work things out, though. In March of 1995, Leah went into labor and she gave birth to baby Christopher. She later admitted during one of her hospital stays that for a few months in 1995, so this is while she was pregnant, she was doing both cocaine and meth. Wonderful. Yeah. That's freaking great. So Larry was correct. She was doing drugs. And one night while Larry was showering, he says that Leah came into the bathroom and was holding a kitchen knife in one hand and a carving knife in the other. That's a lot worse than what I thought you were going to say. I don't okay. know why, but I heard, like, the first few letters, and I thought you were going to say kitten. Oh, my god! I was gosh. like, I'm not seeing a problem here. <laughs> if someone shows up with a kitten, like, first off, I am going to be pissed if you come in when I'm showering. I don't like that because you're, like, vulnerable Yeah, but if you're bringing such. a kitten, but, I'm not going to yes, be mad. I would make an exception for a kitten. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, But I am going to pass on the knife situation. Yeah, me too. I'm not really into that. No, I just really thought you were going to say kitten. I was like, that's actually amazing. No. In Uh. fact, um, this is not a fluffy situation. She actually yelled, I'm going to kill you, motherfucker. Oh. Mm -hmm. That's not what you want to hear when you're in the shower. Uh, No, it really isn't. And in the book, it's interesting because, like, it talks about this scenario, but it doesn't really say what happened. So, I mean, clearly she did not kill him because he's in the book longer. Okay, Uh, yeah. (laughs) So that's good. That's a pretty good indication. Yeah. I don't really know how they resolved this, but I assume this is maybe part of her drug situation. I'm not sure. Yeah. Larry said that Leah would just 
disappear for days and leave him to care for the baby on his own. And he knew that she would always come back. And when she did, the next fight would begin. He was probably like, hallelujah, she's gone for a few days. Right. It was probably a little bit of a relief. You know, even though he has now got the responsibility of taking care of the kid on his own, yeah, it's but, probably like, ooh. Yeah, with her, he's got the responsibility of taking care of the kid and her, so. And, yeah, when she's not there, like, she's not going to be busting in his shower with knives. Right. So, yeah. He started piecing things together, though, and realized that Leah might not be telling the truth about everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. We had talked about this a little bit, like, just briefly in the first part. When she was 13, she claimed that a black man had raped her. But Larry later learned that the guy that she accused was a friend of hers, and they were still in the same social circle. Oh, fuck. Um, So they were still hanging out together. So that's not to say that this is impossible. Like, it, this could that's be just true. Such a, that's a terrible accusation when it didn't actually happen. It, it, right. If she's lying about it. Because I'm. you can still, I I suppose, hang around somebody after something like that happened. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, yeah. you know, it, it can happen. Um, But it just made him wonder, like, what if she's lying about this situation? Um, Because why would she continue to hang out with a man that had raped her when she was a child? Right. You know, in July of 1996, Leah gave birth to baby Sally, and it was time for Larry and Leah to move because, you know, their family was growing, so they wanted to get into an apartment. Larry always said the same thing. You know, when anybody asked why he was still with her, he was like, well, I just gotta keep trying. He hoped that Leah would settle down. One day, Larry was leaving the house and Christopher was crying at the door. Leah's father and Larry's cousin were standing by the car and they both witnessed what happened next. Oh. So little Christopher is inside the door and he's got his hands pressed against the screen and he's crying. He doesn't want his daddy to leave him. And Leah walks up behind him, swung the door open and put her foot against Christopher's back and shoved him out the door. And he landed on the pavement and started crying out in pain. His hands and knees were all skinned up. That's awful. It's disgusting that she would do something like that. And so Larry's cousin said, he looks over at Larry and he's like, if you don't kill Leah, I will. Like, they were revved up. So the men are all fuming. Larry took off after Leah. And so she goes screaming out the back door. As Larry comes back and scoops up Christopher, an officer arrived. And Larry was arrested for domestic violence. No. Yeah. And the way that it, like, this is never really explained in the book, and I couldn't find anything additional about it, but it just kind of made me wonder if she set this up and had already that's called in advance. For sure what I thought you were going to, and that's why she like went screaming out the door and everything. Yeah. She really wanted to get that attention. Yeah. As, mm -hmm. And in case he rolled up during it. Because it doesn't necessarily make sense unless there's a lot more to the story that's left out. Right. Like how did they get there that fast and everything? And especially if 
Larry has witnesses I actually, to other guys there. I actually thought you were going to tell me that she did. Like, mm-hmm. I thought afterwards you were going to be like, yeah, she totally called the cops beforehand. Oh, yeah. I have no idea. Okay. But, yeah, it does make you wonder a little bit. Larry had a job that he loved, and it paid really well. He worked on a tugboat that pushed the barges up and down the Mississippi River. He was gone from home a lot, and he would receive calls from people telling him that he needed to get his children away from Leah. And I can't imagine what that's like. You're just at work, you know, trying to get through your day. How are you going to focus when people are calling you and saying like, hey, you really need to get these kids away from their mom? Well, and the problem is, is you have to be able to provide too, because... You know, you've got to be able to hold up your living situation. Yeah. So you have to be making that money, and it kind of puts you in, like, the shittiest situation ever. It really does, yes. Friends and family would see a lot of people going into the apartment, and it started to look suspiciously like drug deals. During one of the times that Larry was actually home, he got the scare of his life. Bam, bam, bam! Larry jumped from his chair and ran to the door. A man was standing outside the door, and Larry told him, he was like, I've got a gun and there's children in the apartment. The man said, I don't give a damn about your gun or your kids. I just want my fucking money. The bitch done stole from me one last time. I'm not leaving till I see her. Larry threw open the apartment door, pointed at Leah, and told the man, she's right there. I was going to say... I would have grabbed Leah and whipped her out the door and been like, here you go. Yeah, take her. (laughs) Done with this shit. (laughs) So he said that he grabbed the kids and he went into another room and he watched the man yank Leah up and she was screaming. She promised to get his money and the man did finally leave. You don't fuck with drug dealers. No. I mean, I haven't had personal experience with this, but I've heard about a yeah. lot of bad things. You do not do that. Mm, I think that's pretty no. much the first rule. Yeah. <laughs> well, Larry was beyond disgusted by this, and Leah whispered to him, can you loan me money? Fuck no. That he, he said no. He was like, no, not giving you any more money for your drugs, and that's final. In February of 1999, Leah got a job as a CNA at a nursing home. Oh, no. (laughs) You don't think that's appropriate? Oh, my God. I was a little taken aback by this information as well. Um, She stayed there until December. Then she worked for Murray Lawnmowers. The family moved to Crump, Tennessee, hoping for a fresh start. Larry wanted to keep the family together for the kiddos, and he thought that if they started over in a new area, that he could get Leah off drugs. Nah, it's not how it works. Unfortunately, it's not. Like, they have to want to do it on their own. It's not something, you know, he can just force her into. Well, and an addict is going to find what they need no matter where you are. Yeah, it's, it's not the location that changes it. Larry said that he lost all respect for Leah after she kicked their son Christopher out the door, but this next incident is when he decided to officially call it quits. He arrived home from the boat, and he found a group of strangers in his home. They were talking to Leah about Sally's adoption. That's right. Leah was letting someone adopt their daughter without telling Larry about it. I, 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 what? What? <laughs> 
Yeah. What? what? Uh-huh. So she just decided that she's going to let someone adopt her daughter. And, like, what was she going to tell Larry later? That's where I'm like, what? Can you even do that? Maybe at this time. I don't oh, know. God. But it, it certainly couldn't have been legal. No. You know? So he moved her out. He kept the kids. And he moved a family member in to help with them. Leary discovered that Leah filed a restraining order against him. How did he find out, you might ask? Leah called him to chat, and soon after they hung up, the police were at his door, and he was under arrest for violating an order of protection. Okay, well, that tells me right there that the last one was a setup. Yes, that's exactly what I think as well. Um, He was able to show the officer the caller ID that proved it was Leah that called him, so he did not get arrested, and the restraining order was dismissed. Leah needed somewhere to go now, and so she met a man named MacArthur Borner. She told him that she was determined to get clean and sober, and so he moved her into his house. Now, the interesting thing here is that MacArthur was a drug dealer. Oh, my God. Uh, he says he did not do drugs himself. I don't know on that. Um, well, actually, that a lot it of, is possible. A lot of drug dealers don't because then you end up going through your own product. Yes, absolutely. So it is possible. Um, but he had it in the house then. Yes. And he's got drug people or uh, addicts coming in. Yeah. So how are you going? Yeah. How are you going to get somebody sober in that situation? Well, so uh. he did not sell in front of Leah because he, you know, she had said she wanted to stop. And she got herself a part-time job as a CNA in a healthcare center. Oh, my God. No. Yes. It's just like... She freaking threw a kid out a door, like, taking care of people is the last thing she should be doing. It's not really her forte, it doesn't seem. One day, Lance Tuck needed a little favor from MacArthur, and Leah agreed to help as well. Lance's business was a popular meeting spot for people to buy and sell drugs. Lance asked MacArthur to pick up his van and some illegal drugs then meet back at Lance's business with the goods. Simple enough, right? I need to know what part Leah had in this. Well, MacArthur and Leah had no problems getting the van and the drugs. Leah was in the front seat smoking a cigarette. She's like real real relaxed. And MacArthur rolls up to the cafe and parked the van. The two of them get out, drop the drugs, and suddenly the police had them handcuffed. MacArthur had spent time in prison before, but this was new for Leah. MacArthur realized this was a setup, and his friend, Lance Tuck, was probably the one that did it. Wah-wah. Yeah. After consulting with their attorneys, they both pleaded guilty, and their sentences were reduced. On November 13, 2000, Leah received 27 months with probation, and since this was MacArthur's second charge, He received 188 months. MacArthur was transferred to prison, and he never saw Leah Ward again. That is, until she made headlines in the newspapers for a much more serious crime. I was going to say it was probably a good thing 
Yeah, I for him. See her again. Yeah. In January 2001, Leah was transferred to the federal prison camp in Texas. She was released on parole in October 2001, and she was almost 21 years old. She got an apartment in Memphis Halfway House, and she was assisted in job searches. She was supposed to stay there for four months. No drugs, no alcohol allowed, and there would be random drug tests and curfews. A few months after her release, Leah stopped taking her medications and got a job at Kmart. Larry began talking to her again, and he brought the kids to the apartment so that they could all visit. Like, he's really trying to make sure that the kids get to see their mom. I know he is, but, like, she's a fucking disaster. Yeah, uh, it would not be the situation that I would prefer. Um, She quit her job at Kmart and soon had no place to live. Willie Jackson showed up at the home of Ejaz Ahmad, and he had Leah Ward with him. He told Ejaz that she did not have a place to live, nothing to eat. Ejaz told Willie that he could not live with a woman that wasn't his wife, like it was against his religion. Leah introduced herself to Ejaz and explained that she just wanted to be a nurse and she needed somebody to believe in her. He felt bad and he wanted to help. He decided to go against everything he believed in to help the young woman. Ejaz said that, you know what, Leah could stay in one of his houses, rent-free, until she got on her feet. He actually had a rental property that was open, and it wasn't in a great neighborhood, but it was better than nothing. Leah left out a lot of details of her life when she spoke to Ejaz, and she happily moved into his rental property. Yeah, I bet she did. Yeah. It was really bothering him, though. Because he had just put a single woman in an area that was less than ideal. After wrestling with his morals, he finally decided that it just wasn't safe and he moved Leah into his house and he said he would move out and go stay with a friend. Damn! So, I mean, this is a fucking incredible guy. To take a woman off the streets, he has no idea who she is. And he's like, I'm going to give up my house and I'm going to go stay somewhere else so you have a good place to live. Well, and she must be, like, good at what she does because, like, it seems like a lot of people give up a lot of things for her to try to, you know, make it better for her. Yeah, like a really good manipulator. Yeah. Yes. Ejaz had no idea that Leah was addicted to drugs and he just made things real simple for her. Especially when she was living there for free. Rent free. Yeah. I knew that's where that was going. He gave her the money and she was able to start school, attending classes in between work. Ejaz wanted to give her every opportunity that he could, so he paid for her tuition. This poor freaking dude. Yes. Like, holy shit. What a good (sighs) dude, though. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he's you know, really making it super big here, and he's willing to give up his money to pay for her tuition. It appeared that she had a very hectic schedule between school and work, but it was later discovered that when she left for school... She wasn't um, really going to school? 
Right. She was getting high. Yeah. She left each night with a book bag. And um, do you want to guess what was in there? Drugs? Uh, no, but I mean, she was stealing Ejaz's items no, and no. pawning or selling them. No. Yeah. You know what I thought about that earlier? Did you? Yeah, when you were like, he gave up his house. I was like, what about all his stuff inside? Like, yeah. did he take it? Mm-mm. Guess not. No. That fucking sucks. It really does. After everything he's done. Yeah, and then she would take advantage of him like that. When Ejaz was married to Bonnie, he obviously grew very close to her family, and they all remained really, really good friends. His ex-mother-in-law, Ernestine, would bring Jordan over to visit his father, and she thought it was so strange that Ejaz had a woman living in his house. Like, they knew that wasn't like him. When they met, Ernestine felt that something was off right away. Leah would not look her in the eyes, but Ejaz said, you know what, she's just tired because she's working so much. Now, Ernestine was a cop previously, and she knew something was off, but she kept trying to remind herself, like, you're no longer a cop. You're not in the business. It is possible. Leah's just shy. I suppose that's pretty hard. Yeah. I, yeah, I would assume like yeah. once a cop, always a cop type thing. You know, you're never going to get rid of that mentality. At this point, Ejaz was very lonely and he wanted to help Leah. So he felt like the best solution to both of their problems was, can you guess? To get married. Yes. Bingo. I was really hoping I was going to be wrong on that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Leah was still living in his house, and he was living with friends while they waited for their wedding date. In October of 2002, Jordan was in school, and he got a note saying he needed to report to the principal's office. Ejaz was waiting for him. He wanted Jordan to be there for the wedding. Jordan was like, I can't. I have an important test. So he could not go. Ejaz was really disappointed, but he knew school was, like, real important. So he told him, he was like, nah, go back to class. You got to take that test. Ejaz and Leah were married on October 5th of 2002. Ejaz looked so happy, but observers felt that Leah didn't appear to be emotionally or mentally available. She wasn't smiling and appeared even kind of sad, maybe even depressed. Ejaz immediately moved into his house with his new bride, and Ejaz had no idea that the wedding was a sham. Leah had never divorced her first husband, Larry Ward. Naturally. Mm-hmm. When Ejaz showed up to his ex-wife Bonnie's house, he was so excited for her to meet his new bride. She hadn't even heard of Leah, and suddenly he was married? She was shocked, but she extended her hand to greet her. After this encounter, Bonnie went inside her house, and she told her husband that Leah was evil. She just felt it. So both Bonnie and her mother, Ernestine, had a very bad feeling when they met Leah Ward. One of Ejaz's friends, Walid Salam, had a first impression of Leah that he would never forget. He worked at an auto repair shop and Ejaz bought a few vehicles from him. 
Walid, Ijaz, and his female secretary were having lunch one day, and all of a sudden, Leah storms into the restaurant and demands to know who the woman at the table was. Ijaz was so embarrassed, and he's like, okay, calm down. This woman was his friend's secretary. He's like, the three of us are having lunch. Nothing is going on here. We're friends. He soon found out that Leah was stealing from him. She had withdrawn $1,000 from his account without asking. Now, they were married, but it's possible that they did not have a joint account. Right. Or perhaps they have one of those situations where maybe you tell each other if you're going to spend over a certain dollar amount. Either way, Ejaz was like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? He asked Leah why she took $1,000, and she goes, oh, well, it was to purchase gifts for the kids. First, that's a lot of money on gifts. That's a lot of gifts. Yeah. Second, um, she didn't really pay attention to her kids, so that would be strange. Ejaz confided in others about this situation, and they all agreed that, dude, something's really suspicious here. When Leah's two kids visited, which was rare, they seemed to really enjoy their time together. One of them straight up asked Ejaz one day why he would marry their mommy when she's still married to their daddy. Oh my God. Yeah. I did not see that coming. <laughs> like them asking. Yeah. Ooh. Kids say the darndest things. They fucking say everything that's on their little brains. They don't care. Yeah, so this is kind of like tucked into his brain. He's like, ah, uh, that's a weird thing for that kiddo to say to me. Okay. Then more money went missing from Ejaz's account. And again, he spoke to a friend. What should I do? Should I tell her to leave? Get out of my house? Yes. His friend Johnny sighed and told him he needed to follow his heart on this one. When Johnny would visit, he would often stay with Ejaz for a few months. Like, this is something they always did. And that meant he got to see a lot of fights. When Ejaz was working late, Leah would call him, demanding to know if he was with another woman or not. When Jordan would stay with them, his mother Bonnie would call to check in, you know, because she's their, she's his mother. And Leah would get upset and say she has no right to call their house. What? Yeah. That's her kid. She has every uh, right. And coming from the one who's still married? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wowza. So, I mean, she would get upset about this. And Ejaz explained, like, no, Bonnie has every right to call. Jordan is her son. She can check up on him whenever she wants to. Well, Leah took that to mean that he was cheating on her with Bonnie. Naturally, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, even though she's still married. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Ejaz's friend was watching from the window as Leah began hitting Ejaz and his eye was swelling up. Johnny tried to speak with Leah and calm her down. She said, he just makes me so angry I could kill him. Huh. Yeah. Those are foreshadowing words. Sure is. And, you know, Johnny, of course, didn't think much of this comment at the time. Like, she was just upset, right? Well, 
He moved in with a family member, and he had a dream that he says still haunts him. He dreamed that he was watching Ejaz and Jordan standing on a riverbank. As he stepped closer to join them, Johnny felt shock and fear. The water was gone from the river, and it was full of mud. The shoreline where Ejaz stood began to turn a deep color. Then the riverbed turned a deep red color, which had begun leaking out of the earth. Johnny watched as the riverbed filled with blood. And that was the end of the dream. Dun, dun, dun! Ugh, that's a scary-ass dream. That is. So Leah continued to work as a home healthcare aide, but she began making bizarre calls to Ejaz when she was with male patients. Um, She would say she couldn't be alone with them. They were flirting with her and she was getting scared of being raped. That's fucked up. Uh, yes. And she also called the coordinator of the healthcare company that employed her and told the woman, Destiny Reyes, that she was alone with a man and she was scared. And Destiny is like, well, did something happen? Like, what made you feel so uncomfortable? And she didn't have a response to this. She's like, yeah, nothing happened. Um, wow. So, I mean, that's okay. a real wild claim. Yeah, not only for, like, her to say that, but then that's putting that on the per- poor person that she's supposed to be caring for. Yeah, and so now Ejaz is hearing this, like she's calling him over and over and over, and so he's genuinely believing that his wife is in danger. So he also began calling Destiny. So she's bouncing back and forth between calls from Ejaz and Leah. There was nobody that could take Leah's shift on such a short notice, but it spiraled so quickly, and Ejaz even called the client's family and told them they needed to get home because there was an emergency. Ejaz thought that he needed to protect his wife, so he drove to the client's house and waited outside the home and yelled at the client's family when they got back and apparently called them so many times they actually had to turn their phones off. See, that just... So she's getting him so riled up here. So he's in a frenzy, and Leah was reprimanded for her behavior, and she was placed on a 30-day probation. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes? Wouldn't just peace out right then and there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really unfortunate, too, because it's, like, actually still a problem to, like, get um, quality home care workers. And so it's just really sad when you come across somebody like that because it happens more often than not still. Yeah, and it it just makes me mad because there's no basis for her claim. Like, she she's being asked, what makes you feel this way? Like, why are you saying that this male client yeah. is going to potentially rape you? And she's like, well, I don't know. Right. Okay, well, you got to give more than that when you're making such a wild claim. We'll get to this later, but Leah actually used this event when she was trying to appeal her criminal defense case later on. Uh, she she obtained a copy of the incident report to show how dangerous Ejaz was uh, because, you know, he was sitting outside of the home and he's harassing the family and calling them over and over. Yeah, because she freaking... Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. She... 
I hate to say, but is like really smart when it comes to fucking people over. She knows clearly how to get inside people's heads and then, yes, uses every little piece against them. Leah was able to graduate with a degree in the PCA program in April of 2003. She may have passed school, but she did not pass the random drug test that was mandatory for her parole. Hmm. Imagine that. So she was notified that she violated probation, and now she was forced to admit this to Ejaz because she had to appear in court. She was sentenced to serve six months. Ejaz had no idea that his wife was on probation, and now she's heading to prison? So, I mean, this has got to be a huge shock to him. It was during this time that Jordan was present for a physical fight between Ejaz and Leah. Um, He was staying over at the house, and they were arguing, and Leah punched Ejaz in the chest and then stormed off. He slowly turned his head towards his 11-year-old son and asked him if he wanted him to leave Leah. Ejaz was so torn up because he didn't want to get another divorce. All he ever wanted was a family. But it just wasn't working, and he valued Jordan's opinions. If he had known she had been incarcerated for drugs, he would not have gone through with the marriage. Ejaz had a prized silver dollar coin collection in his home, and at one point... Oh, no. (laughs) At one point, it was there. And then it wasn't. Then it wasn't. It was gone now. Leah stole each piece and spent it. He finally found out that she was on medication and that she wasn't taking it regularly like she was supposed to. All of her lies were slowly bubbling to the surface, and it was taking a toll on Ejaz. Every time he would meet up with Bonnie to pick up Jordan, she thought he looked worse and worse. His clothing and hair weren't clean. There were circles under his eyes, and he just looked sad. He Probably ca- because he was. Of course. And he kept saying he was trying to give Leah a chance, which is so interesting because that's exactly what her first husband, Larry, would say every time. Like, I gotta keep giving her a chance. Bonnie told him he looked sick and she was getting really worried. She asked if he was happy and he immediately said no. He knew Leah was on drugs and he was starting to believe that she was cheating on him. Bonnie wasn't surprised because this wasn't the first time that she had heard that. I mean, truthfully, cheating feels like the last problem here. Yeah, in comparison to everything else that's happening. The least of his issues, unfortunately. Yes. But I can understand why that would be the thing that somebody focuses on. No, for sure. It's just, it's, it's super fucking sad that that's like, the lowest of mm-hmm. issues with what she's causing and doing. Yeah, because everything else is so awful. Yeah, and cheating is like one of like the worst things in my book. And then mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's insane. I know. Well, one of Bonnie's family members owned a string of hotels and they were not in the best areas. A family member had seen a photo of a woman that was a sex worker near the motels and they recognized her. It was Leah. Bonnie's family began noticing many things that were worrying them, so they started comparing notes. 
they still considered Ejaz as part of the family. In mid-March, Ejaz called Bonnie and he told her he couldn't take it anymore. That's it. He told Leah he was leaving his house for a while and he was giving her time to get her shit and get out. Bonnie couldn't believe it. It was his house. Why did he need to leave? Ejaz said he couldn't allow her to live on the streets. He said he was done, though. He was going to end things. Just a few days later, Ejaz and Jordan were together. Ejaz called Bonnie to say they were running late. He had to stop at the store. She said, no worries. Just thanks for calling and letting me know. This was the last time they would ever speak. Ejaz finally had the talk with Leah. He told her she needed to change her ways or get out. She packed her bags and said she was moving out. Ejaz drove her to the most expensive hotel in Memphis, and he gave her money and wished her the very best. Leah later told family members that the real reason he brought her to the hotel was to fill out a job application, but I'm going to tell you, this does not make any sense to me. Leah was attending nursing school, and he was paying for her tuition. Why would she suddenly walk away from that career to get a job at a hotel? Yeah. Like, it's not adding up to me. No. In late March of 2003, Ejaz called his ex-mother-in-law, Ernestine, and he was so upset. He was crying, and he told her that Leah had gone back into his home when he wasn't there. She made a copy of the key, broke in, stole his belongings, and took money from his account. Ernestine told him, you've got to get a restraining order. Before they hung up, the very last words he said to Ernestine were, that woman is evil. She is evil. On March 28th, Ejaz tried to sell a car, but the dealership wouldn't pay him what he needed. He asked a friend to sell the car at an auction on April 2nd, but he wasn't able to help either. Around this time, his best friend Johnny called him several times, but he could not get through. He called again, and Leah answered and said Ejaz was in Pakistan, and she hung up. Johnny knew this simply was not true. Since the attacks on September 11th, 2001, Ejaz refused to travel to Pakistan because travelers to and from the Middle East were closely scrutinized and He just felt safer staying put in the U.S. at that point. Yep. On April 1st, Leah sold a car. Then she began selling all of the furniture that was in Ejaz's house. Neighbors asked what was going on, and she said, oh, Ejaz is in Pakistan now. A short time later, a moving truck showed up at the home. On April 10th, Ejaz's friend Yarid spoke with him, and they met in person. They agreed to discuss business further and spoke the following day. They were going to meet up at 4 p.m., but Ejaz never showed up. Yared called the house, and Leah answered, and she said Ejaz went to Pakistan. It was around April 14th when Ejaz and Leah went to see Jordan. Ejaz asked if he wanted to stay with him for the weekend, but he couldn't go. A friend that worshipped in the same mosque had a conversation with Ejaz, and he said he was super unhappy with his wife, and he was beginning to believe their marriage wasn't legal. He said he needed to get away from her. 
So now, one of the interesting things to me when looking at the timeline is that Leah's already telling people that Ejaz is in Pakistan before anything has even transpired here. Yeah, I wonder how that was going, like, getting, I don't know, like, how she was going about that. Like, if she was sure he wouldn't run into these people? I don't know. Yeah. Or if it's just like, yeah, he's in Pakistan, she doesn't give a shit, and she's just hoping they stop calling. Right. Like, that's just going to make it stop. I don't know. On April 17th, Leah Ward entered a Cash America pawn shop around 1 p.m. When you pawn items, they enter your driver's license into the system, and they even take fingerprints. Leah presented a ring that she wanted to pawn for cash. It was a man's ring of 22-carat yellow gold. Uh, The diamond total weight was 5.6 carats. The employee offered $40, and Leah agreed. Her ID had a Tennessee address, which she had not been at for years. She signed a document saying that the ring was hers, but, of course, it really belonged to Ejaz. He had it custom-made, and it had been promised to his son, Jordan. Nice. He was supposed to get it, like, when he got a little bit older. Yeah, no, that's real nice of her. Mm-hmm. Ejaz did not have a cell phone, so people had to call the house if they wanted to talk to him. Leah did have a cell phone, and on April 23rd, she called Jordan to say that she was going to pick up her kids, Christopher and Sally. Jordan asked if he could talk to his dad because he'd been trying to get a hold of him, but Leah said, nah, he's out of town. The next day, Leah called Jordan and said that his dad was in Little Rock, picking up a car. Jordan said he could call him later, but Leah said, no, he's going to be gone for a few days. On April to pick t- up a car? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. On April 25th, Leah called Jordan and he put it on speakerphone so his grandma Ernestine could hear Leah telling him that his dad was in Pakistan and she was thinking about going to Florida, shaving her head, and just getting lost. Um, okay. Yeah, and that's exactly how Jordan responded to this because he just did not know how to react. So... He just handed the phone to his mom. Bonnie got on the phone and she's like, where is Ejaz? And Leah said he's in West Memphis picking up a car. He'd be gone for two weeks. So she just told Jordan he's in Pakistan. I was going to say, yeah. Now he's in West Memphis. And two weeks to pick up a car. That's damn long. It's a long time. On April 26th, Leah signed a rental agreement for a van from Budget, and she would return it on the 28th. She burned through all of her cell phone hours talking to Jordan and Bonnie. She was the one calling them, and she would talk to Jordan for long lengths of time, which is abnormal because this is something they never did. She called Bonnie and said that she had a fight with Ejaz, and he left and went to Pakistan. Bonnie couldn't believe it. He would never leave without telling them. Leah said Ejaz wanted a divorce, and he wanted her out of the house by the time that he got back from Pakistan. Leah claimed she was so worried about him. She started saying really weird things, and she was like, I'm very insecure, and I know I'll never measure up to the kind of woman that you are in Ejaz's eyes. You'll always know him better than I will. What? Right, and Bonnie's like, That's fucking bullshit. What are you talking about? And Leah responded with, when I see him, I'll tell him that. 
And then she hung up. Okay. Yeah, so that's really bizarre. Jordan was hesitant to tell his mother something, but he chose this moment to say that Leah didn't want her to know, but she was pregnant. Oh, shit. So that's where we're going to end. Oh, come on. I know. You freaking meanie bobini. <laughs> oh, not a meanie bobini. <laughs> that's all I had. <laughs> so next week, um, we'll discuss Leah changes her appearance pretty drastically. Uh, we'll start rocking through the timeline of her movements after the murder and the story that she provided to the investigators. We're going to rock through it, huh? Yes. Blood is found in Ejaz's vehicle, and Leah stashes a car at her parents' house. Okay. So. That doesn't sound good. No, it does not. Lots to get through. <laughs> Speaking of pregnancy. Uh, no one. Oh, yeah, I guess I did. I was, I was like, no one said yeah, that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. What? Do you want to guess what he's the size of now? Okay. So it's, um, instead of doing the 90s nostalgia, I'll just let you guess a fruit. Oh. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, you pop in now. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, so. I want to say like a watermelon at this point. You're very close, actually. A cantaloupe. Yes. Ah! You got it. <laughs> He's the size of a cantaloupe. <laughs> Damn, second try, dude. That was impressive. Nice. Damn! <laughs> Good job! Oh, man. There's a whole cantaloupe in there. Do you know how big a cantaloupe is? Yeah, I do! <laughs> As a matter of fact. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he feels like he's the size of a freaking cantaloupe. Uh. <laughs> God. <laughs> do you know how big a cantaloupe is? <laughs> That was the best response you oh could have ever had to that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to have so much to laugh about tonight. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> okay. Well. <laughs> well, I guess everyone's going to have to come back for more stories so that they can find out once she hits watermelon status. Yep. yep. <laughs> Feels like it's going to be real soon. Yeah. It looks to be soon, too. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right. So make sure to follow us on any of your podcast apps. Tell us the stories you want to hear. Like us on Facebook, X, Instagram. Leave us a five-star review if you love us. Tell your friends. Tell your cats. Um, Bye. bye.